This hour is brought to you by Vasectomy Clinics of Chicago. Dan Weederer, on-air contributor for 670 The Score. You're going to be relying on a lot of young players, guys that have to materialize into who they thought they were. The Bears are who we thought they were. When either they drafted them or guys that they believe in that were already here, that's guys like Justin Fields. Bears beat reporter and enterprise writer for the Chicago Tribune. We'll mention this mainly because Chicago Tribune writer Dan Weederer said we would mention this nugget. I'd leave here tonight just thinking that maybe this was just a timely reminder that this team isn't there yet, and they're a long way from there yet, and this climb is really steep. Dan Wiedewer. Get your track shoes on. With Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. Let's talk some football with Dan Wiederer. The football season has come to an end, and now it is Chicago Bears guessing season. The Bears are the most important team in the NFL right now. Dan Wiederer joins us on the Score Hotline that is presented by Circa Sports Illinois. Download the Circa Sports app today. He is on Twitter at Dan Wiederer, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. How are you, Dan? I'm good. I, I laugh. You know, the football season comes to an end, and now the football offseason takes over. I get the question, as most NFL writers do from uh, family and friends all the time, what do you do in the offseason? <laughs> And you say, find me, find me the off season in the NFL. And it's usually like a, a six day span in early July. But other than that, it's uh the Super Bowl ends and we're right on to the next thing. And we're our two weeks away from, uh, from launching ourselves toward the combine. And so uh, away we go. Right. Yeah. There's like three dark weeks, like the end of June into like the beginning of July. And that's yep. pretty much it. That's the, the, the time when the coaches are like, please don't get arrested. Like you don't have to be here. We won't see you again until training camp. Don't do anything stupid. Uh, I'd love to know from your perspective, Dan, what do you think is the most impressive part about Kansas city as a franchise? I mean, the easy answer is the quarterback. It's just, it's the level of belief that, that Patrick gives everyone around him, you know, and then we, we talked all through October and November and December about how they were kind of shaky and they, they looked vulnerable. And then it turns out they weren't as vulnerable and shaky as we thought, because when push comes to shove that, 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 that belief factor that Patrick gives them that they're never doomed is it's just so significant. And so I, I think that's it for me is just uh, that fuel and, and what that does to everyone in the organization to believe that, that you've got a chance to win a championship, no matter how shaky things get at times. When it comes to watching the 49ers yesterday, where do you think they lost the game? Yeah, I, I honestly, Lawrence, I think it was at the start of the third quarter and you get the interception off Patrick Mahomes, right? And you've got this lead and 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 the 49ers fail. I mean, the, the Chiefs fail on their opportunity to kind of double up with what they got at the end of the first half. And they give you the ball right away and they give you the ball in plus territory. You got to capitalize there. The The margin for error against that Chiefs team is so thin that you've got to capitalize there. And I wasn't even as unnerved that they went three and out right after the interception because they 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 got a punt and they downed the punt at the one. And so you're still in that position to play that complimentary football and, and, and get your defense to make a stop and get the ball back in a favorable situation to then still capitalize on that. And they did force another punt and it was a decent punt. And then they went three and out again. And there were two series there where they went three and out to start the second half without letting the best offensive player in the game, touch the football uh, in, in Christian McCaffrey. And all of a sudden you just left that door open and then it's 10 to three goes to 10 to six. And then all of a sudden you're playing a game that you could have get, given yourself more breathing room and more distance. And I thought that was it. I thought that was the kind of the sequence. And obviously when the, the punt uh, hits your guy in the foot and they recover it and turn it into a one play touchdown drive, you're in big trouble. 
I want to go back to something you said after the Ravens got away from their identity in their loss mm-hmm. to this Chiefs team. And you talked about how the Ravens kind of forgot who they were, and it became, in your words, a belief game. Yeah. Did we see something like that happen again? It didn't feel as pronounced as the Ravens game, but I think there was a little bit of that there. And I think, you know, I said whatever one level below stage fright was for the Ravens, you know, where you felt like they were just doing some uncharacteristic things and they got a little bit frazzled and all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, like this is not our this game's not on our terms anymore. And there, there were moments Sunday where, where you thought, man, like the, the 49ers just aren't playing the chess game against Steve Spagnolo well enough to to get the momentum and 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 stick to their identity, which I think is is kind of what you're talking about, where where you knew Christian McCaffrey was your engine the entire season. And then there was just prolonged stretches where you didn't give him the opportunity to, to remain your engine. And it became problematic. And again, like I'm going to bed last night and I'm thinking about it because you know how how the end result of a game shapes the narratives for years to come. And, and you're sitting there thinking about all the ways that the 49ers shot themselves in the foot. They still played a really good football game and they're still in a position. If they could score a touchdown on that possession to start overtime to win it all, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and you're right there. You're just knocking on the door to change every conversation and change every impression and every narrative. And then you're not able to get it done. And, and I, I'm sure you guys were similar to me that as soon as the, the Chiefs took over the ball, you're like, well, this game's over. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're down three, but the game's over. They're going to go and score a touchdown. And the Super Bowl is going to be over. That's how I felt, which is why I thought it was weird that, that Kyle Shanahan decided that he was going to take the ball first. And then you hear from the players afterwards that they didn't quite know what the, the what it was. Now, to be fair, McCole Hartman didn't know that he had ended the game <laughs> With, with with a touchdown, <laughs> so I, I don't want to make this that that Andy Reid has all of his guys ready for it too. But at least the quarterback knew, and that right. that's the most important person who needs to know these things. I think that it's weird that the Shanahan's group didn't know what was going on, and I get that the the Chiefs probably had a better understanding of it because they were the team that was involved in why the rule was changed. Right, right. But, but but still, I'm looking at Kyle Shanahan like, oh, you don't even watch college football, do you? Well, so so there's two things to this, Lawrence. And number one, like I, I talked to Ryan Poles the, the minute that this rule change was put in last year at the owners meetings. And he, I, I said, are you in favor of this? He said, it just depends on what side, what side of the ball we're on. Because you remember, obviously, Mahomes' first run to the AFC Championship game, they lost to Brady and the Patriots without getting to touch the ball in overtime. Then we all know the, the historic uh, Bills-Chiefs game where, where the, the Chiefs got the ball first and, and did it. The difference here, and there's two arguments you can make for taking the ball first if you're Kyle Shanahan. The one is that your defense was a little gassed from the end of regulation and you just wanted to catch him a breather. I don't buy into that one. I don't subscribe to that one. And, he, and one is, he he rejected that because someone offered him that in the post game. He's like, nope, that's not why we did it. The other one is if you split the first two possessions, right, and, and, and either they match your score or you both go scoreless, then it's sudden death. And so the opportunity to play sudden death with you getting more possessions is something. So I can see that factoring into things, but it's like playing a survivor pool. You're never playing for three weeks ahead of time. You play the week that's in front of you. And I think in in that situation, you want to know what Mahomes and the Chiefs do so you can go figure out 
what you need it on fourth down. And that was a, a critical situation. They were in a situation where they could have logically gone for it on fourth down of their opening possession overtime. And if you knew that you were going to need a touchdown, you obviously do go for it. And so I think that's probably uh, a decision that's going to haunt Kyle for a long time to come. And particularly given his, his two previous haunting Super Bowl losses, I don't know uh, how much sleep he's going to get before, uh, you know, the middle of May. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Why do you think... Travis Kelsey was only targeted once in a half. I can't figure out how that could happen. Haven't gone to study it closely or see the the number of plays. It felt like a low play half for the Chiefs in the first half, um, and they just weren't able to get to some of the things they wanted to get to. Um, look like it happens, you know, and, and, and sometimes you've got to adjust. Clearly, the adjustment made in the second half paid off and, and, and it got that offense going a little bit. And then all of a sudden you start to feel that momentum uh, generate um, the guy you're probably going to need to ask for that is Matt Nagy, right? <laughs> we'll get him on the line and figure out how he felt about uh, the difference between the first half and the second half. And now Matt Nagy has uh, left the bears and he's got two consecutive Super Bowl wins and we're all left to uh, draw the conclusion that it's must be nice to have a transcendent otherworldly quarterback at your disposal. Do you think that he'll ever end up back into the, the head coaching carousel or is he stuck now as I am Patrick Mahomes guy and I'm going to stick with him and until, and we'll see what happens when Andy Reid retires. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the latter point is probably the first option. And then I, I think he he can find his way back into the, the cycle again. And then it's just going to be a matter of if opportunity presents that fits for both sides. Um, I don't think, yeah, I don't think Matt is banished to just permanent coordinator role. He, he may get another opportunity up the road, uh, particularly if they, they keep winning championships and the, that ambition and that aspiration kind of comes back to the, to the surface for him. I got to imagine that for Andy Reid and he and Travis Kelsey were like, oh, yeah, we're totally coming back. Uh, yeah. after the game and it, and it makes sense how tantalizing it has to be that even if Andy Reid was thinking about like maybe I'm tired and I want to go home and eat cheeseburgers and put on a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt you're playing with one of one you're coaching yes. the best quarterback maybe that's ever lived and and even if you were thinking about retiring you get in the car and you're like nah I'm not gonna do that that would be stupid I'm gonna go see what other cool stuff he can do Lawrence they asked Clark Hunt it was a one-on-one off to the side of the podium sometime late last night and you know flipping through channels watching the post-game stuff and they said what would be your pitch to keep Andy around uh and he said well we've got Patrick Mahomes under contract for eight more years <laughs> you know and like, right and he's, right. he's a mic drop right like just mic drop that's the pitch you know like make your decision like this this is a lot of fun and it promises to be a lot of fun for a long time to come. And, and, and it's just up to you on, on whether you've got other interests or whether this, uh, this juice and this adrenaline rush is, is truly the, uh, the fulfilling path that you want to stay down. I'm curious what's running through your head as Matt Nagy is shown and mentioned as many times as he was. I know there's easy jokes to be made, but the fact that he was able to go, go home to a comfortable place 
and continue to have success. What what are you thinking when you're watching him coach? It's a really good question. Um, and I don't know that I've thought about it deeply enough to have some sort of deep reflection. I, 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 you know, I think when Matt left here, most people thought that, you know, good guy uh, showed strong leadership traits, particularly in year one, and then kind of lost his way as, as the, the ship started to get a little rocky. And I think he was very fortunate to have a landing space back where he came from, where they truly believe in him and, and, and respect the things that he can bring to the program, the operation. And, and he's been able to, to quickly kind of put uh, what was a, a, a bad ending here in Chicago behind him and, and, and have a, a experience that's terrific. And so, you know, I never had any ill will toward Matt. We all know and have documented the mistakes he made here uh, with the offense and, and unable to sustain that run in 2018. But um, I guess it helps when, when, when you're able to, to have that safety net beneath you to catch you uh, and allow you to to land right back in a place that a lot of people in the world would would love to land because as we talked about it's not just Andy it's every single person in that organization gets the benefit of being alongside Patrick and and um, reaping the rewards and the perks of that. I'm gonna make you football czar for one day, and your your word is the law in the land of the Super Bowl. What's one thing about the Super Bowl that you would either change or add? <laughs> Uh, my agent only accepts uh, three month contracts for the football czar position. So I'm going to need, need a longer, so longer now, run. So, so now we, we can expect you to be the football czar in Washington. Okay. Got it. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give you a rant that goes back to, to something that, that my, my late father used to get upset about. And it was just the, the length of pregame and halftime, right. And how uh, out of the norm it is after you've played an entire regular season and, and a month worth of playoff games under dynamics that aren't the same when you get into the most important game of the season. And so that, that's one thing that I don't know what you do to kind of try to streamline that a little bit or shorten it a little bit, but there's just so much pomp and circumstance that disrupts the normal flow of a football game. It's all part of it, but you said I could be the czar for a day. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that, that, that's, that would be my change. Cause I just think it, it, it just kind of disrupts the norm for people who are used to being in a normal rhythm and routine for a game with that much at stake. Yeah. I learned my lesson a long time ago with pregame. I just don't really watch it. The fact that I did a three hour pregame show yesterday was the closest that I'm going to get to that. My rule is turn it on at kickoff. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm talking more for the players and coaches and just having to pace yourself and sit through, you know, you're out there, 28 minutes before the game starts and there's all these different announcements and ceremonies and songs and everything. And, and you're just like, man, like we got to get the kickoff soon because my emotions are popping out of my veins right now. Or the opposite. Or, yeah. or you're, you're trying to time that emotional peak. Yeah. And especially these guys who even do it chemically. You know, we see the guys, honestly, you know, waving the 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 smelling salts out of their nose and all that. There are the, these are finely tuned machines that are operating at a really high intensity level, and to 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 miscalibrate or miscalculate that is bad for you. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 be, that be my change, and and when we get that that three month contract. Uh, finalized Lawrence I'll send you a whole list of suggestions that I've got for the whole league (laughs) well this is a big picture question but since we got you here I can ask it to you what do you think of like now it seems as if there there was a time where it's like oh well you know there's a lot of pro guys that are going to go to college because they could have complete control and now it's like the college guys are like I've had enough of this 
Yeah. I want to be an assistant on a pro team because I don't have to deal with with all of the other things that go along with coaching college football these days. No question. I mean, no question. Um, and and the number of things that you have to deal with because you, you're, you, you know, the one thing that college coaches have complained about forever is the 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 fuel tank that's needed to recruit. Well, now. Not only are you recruiting for future teams, you're recruiting the players that are already in your program year round to stay in your program, you know, and just the level of exhaustion that comes with just trying to keep a team together and build a team. uh, There's no question that there's an appeal to having something that's a little bit more structured and stable at the next level. And, And I understand why people would gravitate in that direction if opportunities allow them to gravitate in that direction because it just reduces some of the the stress and headaches that that just tend to take away the enjoyment for a lot of these guys. Let's say the Bears are going to keep their pick and they're going to go with Caleb Williams. Yeah. As it stands right now, where do you see the best markets for the biggest return for Justin Fields? You got This is why two weeks from now in Indianapolis, it's going to be fascinating for Ryan to kind of navigate all he's got to navigate because last year, you know, he was going down there with the intent of kind of auctioning off that number one pick and had a lot of meetings. Well, he's got a lot of homework to do on this draft class because it's not just Caleb. It's the, the, the other pick at number nine. And so he's got a lot to navigate over those, you know, however long he's down there, five days, six days, whatever it turns out to be in Indianapolis. Um, they, he's got to figure that out. He's got to take a temperature on what teams, as we've talked about previously, are interested in uh, putting something forth right now for Justin, what teams are telling him, hey, we may be interested in Justin, but we want to see kind of how free agency goes, how uh, the draft class starts to shape up when we get further along in our evaluations of these prospects, and, and we may circle back with you. And so this is going to be a really fluid process for the next you know two months here, and, and Ryan's got to have his fingers on that pulse. I think one of the most interesting things about that, that Schefter nugget from Sunday, which didn't surprise me at all um, from things I've been told, but like it, it, that feels like a intentional way to try to drum up a market for both things that the report of, mm-hmm. you know, they could, they could draft a quarterback and also keep Justin. Well, you've got to try to keep leverage on both of those things for as long as humanly possible. And that felt like what that was. I thought one of the funnier parts of that nugget was when <laughs> Teddy Bruschi kind of vehemently pushed back on it and, and Adam got really angry and they kind of had like a, a 15 second, like there was really like tense and, and divisive there on the stage, but it felt like um, more of a sales pitch from Hallis Hall than a piece of uh, Intel that was, that was literally going to happen in the future. You know, it just seems like that, that would be a, a situation that would be impossible to explain and then twice as impossible to navigate. Dan Wiederer, always appreciate you taking the time to join us, man. Enjoy whatever off season you have before. I guess you're, you probably are writing a 10,000 word piece for tomorrow. No, not 10,000. We got, we got some things coming and I, maybe I'll get a, a, a slight breath on president's day next week. And then we'll be right back into combine prep. And so that break you talk about, that's like Lawrence said, late June, find me on a baseball field somewhere. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Dan, be well, man. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll talk soon. See ya. That's Dan Waiterer.